Sarah, thank you so much for coming back on the show and taking on all of these different questions we have related to sex. If you have not listened to an episode with Sarah, or you're unfamiliar with, unfamiliar with her and her work, I want to introduce her. Sarah Bartell helps married Catholics grow closer to God and closer to their beloved at canafeast.com. A moral theologian and mom of five, she and her husband of 20 years created the Cana Feast Virtual Marriage Ministry to help bring the benefits of marriage retreats to more couples. She co-edited A Catechism of Marriage and Family Life for CUA Press. She hikes, reads Jane Austen, and has adventures with her family in the Seattle area. And you can find her on Instagram and Facebook at Cana Feast and Dr. Sarah Bartell. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, so great to be with you, Bridget. Thanks for having me. So I want to jump into all these different questions I got related to sex. I opened up a question box on Instagram and I thought, you know what, let's actually put this in a podcast and a blog. So this is accessible to so many more people because I know that these questions, I have heard them before and I know that these are not specific to one person, but many are probably asking and wondering. And I always like to say like, there's no dumb question. I think there's so much lacking in this space of giving practical, helpful um, answers and support when it comes to sex. And you are the perfect person for this with launching your course, my delight in helping Catholic wives have better sex, better intimacy with their spouses. So you're going to take on the hot seat and answer these questions for us today, which I'm so excited about. All right. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. So first question that came up is sex during the luteal phase is still uncomfortable. It's not enjoyable for me, despite taking our time using plenty of lube, et cetera. Husband and I are getting very discouraged. Any advice? I have lots of advice. And really, if you go through the My Delight course, all the different things I teach in there about how to set up a wonderful, like, session with your husband, like your, your sex life globally speaking, will really help with this because there are lots of different things to do. Um, just to kind of go into it in a more general way, I would say first, let's work on your emotional connection with your husband, flirting, open-ended questions, spending time with each other, take a walk, um, date, like watch something that's going to make you laugh together or play board games. Like you need to have some, the sex is not just the sex, right? It is the incarnation of your overall relationship. And so let's take care of that and make sure that you're feeling connected and sweet and loving with each other, you know, more heart to heart. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think that really speaks to like, like you said, it's a like globally, like looking at the whole person and not just saying, okay, how do we fix the sex? Why is the sex not working? It's like, well, what are other areas where maybe you don't feel connected at all? You're feeling that disconnect or, or distant. Yeah. It can feel like so much pressure, like just getting into the sheets and then like go. Right. But there's so much that happens beforehand that is really important for, um, yeah, for your sexual connection as well. So then I would say schedule it. This is just a helpful strategy so that you know, okay, it's going to be Thursday night or Saturday night or Saturday afternoon nap time or whatever. Um, so that you can start to prepare your mind and heart and, you know, really ramp up the flirting and prepare your mind as a woman with, um, you know, thinking about like the sexiest thoughts you can related to your husband, remembering times you've done it in the past and just anticipation. It, it's really helpful. Um, okay. So that's important. So I heard in this question, taking our time, using plenty of lube. I hope taking time, our time means lots of foreplay. And then she said in the question, it's still uncomfortable, not enjoyable. Like, do we need 
some pelvic floor therapy? What, what's uncomfortable? Is it, you know, yeah, maybe there needs to be some pelvic floor therapy so that, but yeah. it's curious to me that she says during the little luteal phase, it's uncomfortable. Like maybe other times it's not uncomfortable. I'm just not sure exactly what's going on there. But I would just say like the more that you can get aroused, like really focus on ladies first and lots of foreplay that's specific to <laughs> the wife um, that should help her open up and, you know, cervix like retracts a bit and everything opens up more. Um, so that should help. Uh, so hopefully I'm, I'm just hoping this couple knows, you know, all the different ways that are listed to do foreplay. And I've talked about that elsewhere as well, but there can be lots of ways to touch and stimulate each other that can really, you know, focus on giving the wife enjoyment focusing on her clitoris, but not right away. Like you got to start on the outside, you know, make love to the rest of her body, you know, lots of like foot massage, shoulder rubs, back massage, you know, before you like kind of go in on the most erotic parts. Um, and shoot, what else was I going to say? Pray together, pray, like pray together with your husband before the luteal phase for your sex life. And maybe do a novena together or something. So really bring in your spirituality and then pray specifically before your sex session or jiren or, you know, ask ask for God to help you experience the joy that he wants to be there. Um, that's a totally valid prayer intention. <laughs> you know, God made this. He wants you to enjoy it together. So just ask him for help to access that. And then here's the other thought I had. She says, still uncomfortable, not enjoyable. Is the wife struggling with anxiety and having trouble relaxing. Maybe there's this pressure like, okay, it's luteal phase, it's go time, gotta do it. Um, a lot of times anxiety can really creep in and be a libido killer. So that would be what I would ask about. Like, what can she do to relax? Can she take a bath first or a warm shower? Um, yeah, hang on. Got a, got a pause this. Oh, he just took himself out. Oh, I thought I locked that door. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, all good. I find that anxiety creeps in with so many wives, really making it hard to relax into making love. And what is important with this is making sure that you've got a transition time between doing mode, like laundry, to-do lists, all, all the things that you need to take care of, being responsible, and then getting into your sexy erotic mode. And it's, it's hard. Like guys can flip a switch pretty quickly for that. That's just how a lot of them are built. But for us ladies, we need to ease into it, like circle on in. Um, so some sort of transition time here, again, the bath or shower can be helpful. Um, some sort of like date-like activity, you know, like cuddling on the couch, watching a movie that's going to bring up good feelings and help you get into it. Um, or just honestly, like just laying in your husband's arms for a half hour, letting the day melt off. The, the kind of foreplay I jokingly refer to as a mini coma, where you just like, there's no expectations. You're just laying with each other, clothes on or off. But um you know, just that transition time before then you really start working on arousal and whatnot. I think all those things can really help. That's a great, well-rounded answer. I love that you're just giving super practical advice, talking about like what can really help 
a woman engage in and feel aroused or not feel aroused, like not jumping into everything right away. Like that transition time is so important. And that's something like I've definitely experienced just like in the past month, we've really been working on that. And I'm, I'm happy to share that. And that's like really helped me just like that to-do list, like take that off my brain for a little bit. I sometimes will even have a notepad and like write down, okay, these are the things I'm thinking about that are to-do items. And then, then it's like opportunity for David and I just like connect with each other. And then there isn't that expectation, like, yeah, we're totally going to have sex or not. It's like, Hey, it might happen. And like, we're just going to like engage with each other and enjoy each other and like slow down a minute. Because I think otherwise there's this expectation that you just have to like jump right in and do it. And and that can cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of discomfort. So I really appreciate how well-rounded your response is. It's so helpful. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, there is an element of performance anxiety and pressure, and that is just not helpful to our arousal as women. So yeah, absolutely. Sometimes even like it's helpful to fall asleep for an hour or so, like just get all warm and cuddly and, and sleep and then start getting frisky with each other after that first little bit of sleep. I don't know. Just <laughs> play around. See what yeah, these, I think that's what thing too. Like play around. Like see what works for you or doesn't work for you. And that doesn't mean if it doesn't work, like, oh, this is this is never going to work. It's like, well that particular aspect didn't, you know, or what you tried didn't really work, but try something else that that could. Like it's okay to mm-hmm. have that trial and error. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so next question we got was, is it okay to make out when TTA trying to avoid pregnancy when fertile? Yes, okay. And I think there's another question on this wonderful list that you have that's also related about like what's what's okay or, hmm, do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, here, the next one. Yep, go ahead. Is it wrong to turn each other on or touch each other sexually when we know we're trying to avoid and won't finish? So I'd love to address both of these together. And here's the thing, the whole point of our sexual faculty of arousal is to prepare us to have sex. And I think that is really not clear a lot of times when we're learning a method of natural family planning or learning about about it. Um, You don't necessarily get all of the advice, you know, like really what's moral to do. Um, with each other when you're in that fertile phase, but you're avoiding actually having sex. Um, And the boundary, so, you know, many people might think, well, okay, the boundary is just don't climax, or maybe the boundary is like don't penetrate, or maybe the boundary is don't touch each other's genitals. Really, the deal here is, yes, be affectionate. You can certainly make out, but as soon as you're starting to arouse each other, and then continue doing so on purpose. Whether in, And that is gonna vary couple to couple. Like some couples, maybe it's just making out. Other couples, maybe it's like really touching each other's genitals and breast touching and whatnot. Like that is the line. You should not purposely arouse each other. And when you notice that you're starting to get sexually aroused with whatever sort of affection you're doing, that's when you need to take a break, cool down, change positions so it's less arousing. Um, Find other ways to be connected and grow in intimacy, like spiritual, emotional intimacy. Work on a house project together. Because, you know, you can have a lot of extra sexual energy in this time as a wife because you're ovulating or near ovulation. So you get, you know, some women experience like a surge of creativity and energy and whatnot. And then the husband, he's invisibly picking up her pheromones and also, you know, feeling extra frisky. So if that's your case, 
And you know, even just making out is going to be like very sexually arousing. Don't start making out. You, you got to manage and steward it. And what I would say is like, channel that energy into some other source. Like, okay, now's when we're going to clean out the garage or we're going to do some projects with the yard work or, you know, just like something else that takes a lot of energy <laughs> because that's just being a steward of your whole person and your sexuality. Like think about priests and nuns. Nuns ovulate. They're going to get higher libido during their ovulation time. And they've got to figure out what to do with that. That's not sexually arousing or, you know, obviously making love. And, and same with priests when they get their libidos kicking in, you know, and like you play extra sports, you know, go for an extra run or something or um, pour yourself out in service in ways that are more physically <laughs> demanding. So that's what I would say, um, that when you are purposely arousing each other during the time when you know you're not going to be making love, it's either sinful or the near occasion of sin. You know, there's sin against prudence because it's just not prudent to do that. And also an improper use of your sexual faculties. So that can be a hard thing to hear, but I have a beautiful story of um, a couple where the woman was in my My Delight class and the husband kept um, approaching her during their fertile time when they were deciding to avoid intercourse. But he would get her all turned on. They get super, super frisky. And either she would climax, but without intercourse, and feel guilty and go to confession, which, you know, that is sinful, right? Or um, they, you know, do sexual brinksmanship where they get both super aroused, but then have to cool down. And she was just feeling frustrated. And this led to her freezing up and, like, shutting down whenever her husband would then approach her to be affectionate even before things really got started. And once I talked to her and shared this boundary with her and she shared it with her husband, she said he was really mad at first, but then he quickly saw the logic of it. And now he has been pouring himself out, serving the family, doing yard work and housework during that time and developing his spiritual life and um, really focused on starting up and maintaining a habit of daily prayer. And she said he he realized part of what he was doing was trying to fill that need for intimacy with God and like the kind of this deeper need with the physical affection and sexy time that wasn't actual intercourse with her. Anyway, it, she said it's just been such a huge blessing in their marriage. Uh, things have just, they just can't believe how anointed and how much graces are flowing and just how good things are. So I just, I hope that encourages some of you out there that like, even though it can be hard to have this very clear boundary, like no touching <laughs> each other's genitals or no, you know, sexually arousing, it can lead to great blessings when you just embrace that. Thank you for being so honest with, with this question, because I think a lot of times it, it is not um, such a full answer as what you gave. It's a lot of times like, well, don't arouse each other. It's like, okay, but what do I do with this? Like you said, this extra energy and this extra creativity and just like this, this desire to like, want to be close. Like, you know, cause I think sometimes you're like, Oh, love each other in other ways. It's like, well, what could that look like? Give us an example, which you did so beautifully giving us a few, because I think like a lot of times we get kind of stuck. And when you're in it, like I've experienced this, it's like, okay, I get it. I need to love him in a different way. I don't really want to, what could this look like? And you can be kind of frustrated, but it's like, okay, here's the clear boundary. And here are all the different options you have available to you. What are you going to try? Like, I think that's, I think there's that experimentation that we need to be willing to, 
to try and to see like what works, what doesn't work in, in loving each other in different ways and in using this energy in different ways where we can still do an activity get together, but it's not going to be the activity of sexually arousing each other and then being super frustrated that we can't actually have sex. Right. Yeah. Maybe you need to start like training for a marathon or something, or, you know, like go on long runs <laughs> yeah. together or, you know, go do some physically vigorous sport, or maybe it's because there's sort of an element of transcendence that, like that sexual energy and libido, it like it calls us out of ourself to something greater, right? Which like when you're going to make love, it's that self-gift to the other person. But I, I do think like maybe this is a good time to really start dreaming together and have like a really good conversation of where do we want to be in five or 10 years or what do you want to accomplish before you die? Or, you know, like it could be, it could feed into those kind of conversations. You just have to kind of see what sort of couple you are, <laughs> what's going to work. Yeah, totally. This is so helpful. Okay. Next question. Someone said, I heard this and I wanted to ask, is having an orgasm through the clitoris different than penis and vagina PIV? Well, um, I would say the majority of women having orgasms, it is going to be clitoral orgasms. It's really kind of rare for women to be able to have orgasms simply from penis and vagina stimulation alone. Like not impossible, but um, I, probably the way it feels or the quality of it is probably going to be a bit different. I know there's a, I don't know if you've heard, Bridget, of this coital alignment technique where it's more of like a grinding circular motion. Apparently that can bring women to clitoris. Cl I'm sorry. Can you edit that actually? Yes. Yep. Yep. Apparently with this coital alignment technique, which honestly, like me and my husband have been trying to figure this out. I keep hearing about it and I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe the words are just not descriptive enough from the descriptions I've been reading. But apparently that could be a way to get to orgasm simply from penis and vagina. But usually the majority of the time it's going to be some other form of stimulation for the woman. Like whether it's oral and then, you know, oral up to a point, maybe getting you 80 or 90 percent there. And then he enters and then is touching you manually while he's inside. Um, that will bring you to the orgasm. And I guess that would be a clitoral orgasm if it happens from him touching your clitoris. So anyway, yeah, I feel like I'm just beginning to learn about the wide world of varieties of orgasms. There's apparently the you know, the, um, the G spot orgasms can come from that. And then also a thing called the deep spot. I'm like, okay, I thought I knew a lot about sex, but I, there's even more to <laughs> discover and explore. So, uh, there can be lots of different kinds of orgasms and it's not like there's a hierarchy or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think related to this too, um, for individuals who are trying to figure out like where to go, to look into this or to figure out like, okay, I want to better understand different orgasms. Do you have resources that you recommend, um, in figuring this out? Because I think I've gotten questions from women. They're like, they want to know, but they're nervous about coming across like, a, honestly, a porn site or they're oh, yeah. to open something up and then like, okay, well now I have to decide, is this moral or immoral? And I, we're talking specifically about orgasm. So we're not talking about something immoral here, but you can find a website that has that and lists like different positions or different, um, recommendations for sex, um, types of sex, like oral sex, where it's like, oh, as Catholics, we don't recommend that. We don't allow Yeah, it. you can use oral stimulation, yeah, but right. not oral to orgasm for him. Um, and it can be oral to orgasm for the wife, as long as then also there's um, the husband climaxing inside her, you know, before or after. Um, I can recommend a book by a Christian woman. The book is called Awaken Love. And... <laughs> 
the woman who authored it is Ruth, and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce her last name right. It's um, Buzis, B-U-E-Z-I-S. So she does briefly describe like, you know, different types of orgasms that she's heard, heard about. And it's a Christian book, so it's not going to be, you know, it's, it'll be like respectful language. Of course, in the book, there will be things um, that we as Catholics know are outside the bounds of our Catholic sexual ethics, like pornography, I'm sorry, not pornography, um, contraception and masturbation. So just use your Catholic filter if you're reading the book. But yeah, she does do a treatment of a variety of types of orgasm in there. Not necessarily like how, it's not necessarily in depth, but I feel like it was a pretty good introduction for me of like what else is out there. That's awesome. And we can include that in the show notes too, but I'm sensing like there's a book that you need to write, Sarah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. So next question. Yeah. I'm not sure how to teach husband to be able to please me during sex and not just before and after. So it sounds like before and after meaning before foreplay or like after sex, maybe like cuddling, something like that. But it sounds like it's during sex, not sure how to teach her husband what she likes and what she doesn't like. This takes really great communication. And I have a whole module on communication inside my course, My Delight, because we as women can feel so awkward about telling our husbands, you know, what is working and what isn't. But when you think about it, your sex life, that is a form of physical communication and, you know, body language. But you need to also pair it with verbal communication. You you do need to use words and um, or just like oohs and ahs or moans at the right time or move his hand or, you know, move his body. Like you can make it clear when you're being pleased or not. Um, uh, just, I guess, if you're shy about using words. But when I read that question, I think what she means is when she says during sex, not sure how to teach husband how to please me during sex, does she mean during penetration? Because I would define like sex as that would include the foreplay and the penetration and, and whatnot. And, and couples can really get stuck in a rut. Um, but I think it's important to know that um, things don't have to be just one certain way. Like a couple can get into a routine, right, of how they make love. And what I'm imagining might be at work behind this question here is like there's some foreplay and then there's the penetration part and then it's done. And, and maybe afterwards he might help her finish manually because she alludes to he is able to please her after sex. But I would say like the follow-up of him stimulating her manually or orally after his climax, that's, that's still part of the sex, right? <laughs> I think we can kind of just get so focused on just the penis and vagina part. Um, but there are like, yeah, just take the class, take my delight, because I will break this down for you and really help you understand like how you can make it all delightful. One just thing I'll mention now is a technique called edging. And that is where you have the husband bring wife like part of the way to climax and then you both cool down, you know, so maybe you get up to 80% and then cool down and then some more, you know, getting hot and heavy and him stimulating her. So maybe now she's getting up to like 90% of the way to climax and then cool down and this, and then, um, and then maybe with penetration and add some manual stimulation to it while he's inside, if you can get in a good angle, um, then, you know, bring her all the way, um, 
and it, all that preparation is so good because there's been more blood flow that's gathering in the genital area. It's going to make it easier for her to get to, to orgasm um, while he's inside. And maybe she can say something like, can you touch me while you're, you know, can you please touch, touch me intimately? Um, you know, even while you're inside me or, or maybe move his hand just to show, maybe you can put your hand on top of his and just show him where it would be very stimulating for him to touch you. Um, yeah, I think that could be really helpful. Yeah. Again, I love how practical you're getting and just like really getting at this question from different angles because so often it's just sort of like, oh, try this. And it's like, what does, what does this mean? What does, what are you trying to say? So this is really, I hope this is helpful for people listening and, and hearing these different questions too. They might be like, oh yeah, that's totally, I've never, I've never thought to try edging, right? I didn't even realize like physiologically what's happening and why this would feel so much better. And like you said, like um, sex is a form of physical communication and adding that communication, whether it's like guiding hands, um, moans, like talking as you have sex. It's like a very healthy, normal thing to do. I think we just think of movies a lot of times, right? Right. Exposure is like a movie because maybe you you don't really talk about this with your married friends. And then you're thinking like, well, they don't do that. They just seem to know what to do. And it's like, well, it's a movie. And also they have sex coaches for films to be able to like make it look real, but like, they're not actually making it look real. It's not, (laughs) they're not like walking away to the bathroom with a towel between their legs either. So like, they're just, there are pieces missing but we can, I know. Why do we deal. never see the penguin waddle afterwards? Exactly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, and Bridget, the thing is, I just know on the media and movies, who is writing these movies, who is writing these scenes? It's men with their male idea of how sex works and sexuality. I really want, <laughs> I want more sex scenes written by women, you know, not that necessarily that we want to show, um, erotic material you know at all I know what you're saying though it's like if we could see like from a female perspective it would probably look very different but how would you show that in a 90 minute movie because there'd be you know there'd be some like lead up and then some cuddles and then like it's it's a more nuanced thing it's not this just a straightforward linear progression you know so and I think this is why like films do such a disservice when it comes to trying to portray sex because it's such it's such a false reality. And yet we think like, oh, that's gotta be, that's gotta be what it's like or what it's supposed to be like, especially, you know, like whether you're, it doesn't really matter where you are. If you've never had sex, you're beginning sex with your spouse, you're 30 years in, like movies, I think can really distort what we see as like an actual experience from what we have. And then we think, oh, I'm not normal. And it's like, right. Hollywood really isn't, <laughs> doesn't, and shouldn't be our framework for what's normal. It's a movie it's meant to entertain. And now that we've concluded sex, it creates this really weird distortion of entertainment, quote unquote. Yeah, but the reality is because we don't talk about sex explicitly, you know, like in church or in the home that you grew up in or um, with friends that much, you know, it's not like a coffee and donuts after mass type discussion. What we get formed by is what we end up seeing in the media, right? So anyway, yeah, I know. I wish that it would just get into a woman's head more because we have our associative thinking. I loved reading one time on a Facebook group um, for Catholic NFP. This woman shared about how it, it's a challenge to keep your mind focused on what you're doing and that she and her husband will be hot and heavy and, you know, really into it. And then all of a sudden she'll be like, remind me, I need to get cheese tomorrow from the store. And they'll both laugh and, you know, keep making love and whatnot. And they just, this is just part of it. Yeah. I love that example. That's great. <laughs> okay. 
Next question. They said, everyone in the Catholic bubble talks about NFP so openly, but never talks about sex and pleasure, especially mm -hmm. for women. I need some tips and I don't know where to turn. That's not porn. Amen. Uh, that is just so true. And we really need to make this more normal because God wants sex to be pleasurable for women as well. And this is great for your marriage also. And your husband wants to, you know, there's a certain like, um, delight and pride that he has in being able to please his wife. Um, it's just, you know, this greater feeling of accomplishment. My husband tells me that it's just so much better for him when he knows that he's really making it great for me as well. Um, but yeah, that is what my course is for. That is like the main point of my course is to just teach you. There's a lot to learn. And we've talked about it somewhat already in the pod, in this episode of the podcast, but yeah, there's your emotional connection. There's ways he's going to touch you. There's manual and oral stimulation as part of foreplay or to help you finish afterwards or, you know, to integrate in, in some way. And, um, you know, what I'm finding too is a lot of women, even if they may know that, they are very squeamish about allowing their husband to give them that kind of touch. Um, so, and that, and I just, I talk about that in the course as well, that, you know, maybe you just need to baby step your way into it and just say like, this time, honey, can we just try? Like, I really like to grow in my, in our sex life and in my ability to enjoy it. Would you be willing to try with me this or this tonight? Or what if you just tried touching me in this way for just a few minutes and we can see what that's like. And then next time, uh, you know, a few minutes more, because I think sometimes, especially with the very common anxiety that we have as women, our natural modesty, feelings of shame that like it's a dirty area down there. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing to let him touch you, whether it's with his hands or his mouth, you know? So I, I would say that's the main thing that women need to learn is, is what kind of touch is going to bring pleasure and then how to ask and invite and explore with their husband for what that's going to be. And then, um, to, uh, how to allow that. Yeah, that's great. I think that's so helpful. And I want to emphasize your course is definitely a place for that. Um, I know like the, the one, the, honestly, the one book that I can think of related to sex and like getting into some practicals is holy sex by Dr. Greg Popchak, but that's about it. So I'm so grateful you're doing a course and walking women through and giving them very practical support along with, um, you, I think you said weekly coaching calls. Yes, we do. We, and that's so much fun. I would say that I didn't anticipate this when I first ran the beta of the course last fall. Um, but it turned out to be like the most fruitful part of the course. I was thinking, oh, these recorded lessons, that's going to be, you know, so important. And it is, um, but it's really in those weekly coaching calls where I receive women specific questions. They send them into me by email usually, and then I can address the question anonymously in the call. Everyone else gets to listen in. Um, and then women can type to me, you know, in the call, in the Zoom call, you can send a message directly to the host without everyone else seeing it. So then more questions start to come in. They're like, oh, yeah, that's actually something I've been struggling with, too. Or that reminds me, I actually have a question about this or that. Um, it's just been so much fun. We formed a really great, safe community in there and uh, just get a lot done. Or sometimes I'll start the call and be like, Okay, ladies, I'm going to break it down for you. Here's how, like, you set up a sex session with your husband, like, from A to Z. Here's, like, an ideal way you could have it go. Um, 
just from the, you know, that afternoon or that morning to all the way till <laughs> the penguin waddle to the bathroom. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. And of course, link will be included for someone listening going like, yep, I just, I totally need this course. I'm signing up. So I'm excited to be able to, to share that. And it, I know this is going to be a time sensitive episode as far as talking about the course. So we're talking about the course being open for registration, February 13th through the 16th of 2023. Um, and after that point, I know Sarah has different cohorts that she'll be offering. So stay tuned and be on her email list for when new cohorts open up. If you're listening to this episode post open registration time. Yeah. And okay. you know, if it's not open registration time, you can still click the link that Bridget's sharing and then you'll just get on the wait list and then you'll be first to know when I open up again. I'm usually going to do a spring and a fall cohort. So good. Okay. Next question. Any tips for the husband to help with charting? And so I'm not feeling like the gatekeeper for sex all the time. Yes, that is so important. What a great question. That is really wonderful. And when I started learning NFP, Bridget, like way back <laughs> ages ago, we used paper charts and that was really handy to just keep the actual literal paper chart on his side of the bed on his nightstand or I would make my observation and then ask him to write it down um so those are some good ways so like he sees it right there um or but now with apps I don't know if there's a way to get the app on both of your phones or again maybe the app is just on his phone and you make your observation and tell him what to enter um some other really clear signals you can give so you remove the gatekeeping so immediately from yourself as wife. You could set up some sort of fun secret signal in your bedroom. Like maybe you have a certain candle or object of decor, or maybe a crucifix, you know, the cross of NFP and sexuality. And it uh, moves from your nightstand over to his nightstand when it's, um, you know, when it's a good day for, for sex. Um, you know, it could, could be something like that. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to have to be the one to say, no, not yet, not now, <laughs> yeah, um, when you're the sole gatekeeper. Yeah, I think when you can bring in your husband as much as possible or like divide tasks or at least like communicate or maybe you do need to, if you can't share an app, print out that chart again so that you both can see it and so that it doesn't feel like he's coming to you for the information. That information is readily available for him too. I know we have a, a Google sheet that we use and we both have access to it. So we can like both open it up and check it out and see what's going on and be communicating. Um, and so that helps for me not feeling like, okay, I'm the gatekeeper. Like my husband can look at the monitor too, because we use the Marquette method. Um, and just like trying to have that open wave, like wave of communication. So it's not just like, okay, yes or no, because then that can really take the fun out of like anticipating sex together mm -hmm. too. That way you can like prepare together a little bit more and feel yes. like yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, we're, we're moving through these, which is really fun. I'm loving all these questions. They're so good and they're so specific. This is what I was like looking for when I was like preparing for marriage and like even now in marriage, I'm like, ooh, tell me more, Sarah. Okay, what does the church teach about other forms of sex? Basically, what's licit and what's illicit? Mm, I did a whole two-part series on what's licit and illicit. Um, uh, when I was a guest on Ellen Holloway's Charting Towards Intimacy podcast. So you can definitely go check that out. But basically, other forms of sex. Okay, anal, I'm going to say no. That's right out. Like, there's, I cannot see, you know, I guess technically, morally, some theologians say you could use that as part of foreplay. There's nothing, like, specifically immoral about it. But practically speaking, 
that's just really not going to work very well because after any sort of penetration in there, whether it's with his penis or fingers or whatever, then he's going to need to clean up very well in order not to spread infection to you before he enters or, you know, touches you manually in the clitoral area or vulva or enters you. So then you're going to, you know, you're going to like, how does that look? You're going to have to go take a break and he's going to need to wash up really well with soap. And then by then I would feel like you're both pretty cooled down. But here's the other thing why I say no to that, because it is unhealthy. You can get anal tears and like the anus was meant to hold feces. That's, that's it. Um, so I think if it's unhealthy, if it's going to lead to it's something that leads to injury, that to me is a reason why we would take this off the table. And I would even say immoral, like you don't want to hurt someone. So that that's immoral to me to, you know, do something that's harmful and hurtful. Yeah. And it's like my, my public health hat on. I'm really glad you bring up like the, the physical realities to this and actually some of the dangers to your health because the rectal tears and then also the fact that, you know, the, the anus is designed for pooping and, and excreting feces is really mm-hmm. important to note because that reality of bacteria germs um, is hugely um, not talked about when we talk about anal sex. It's kind of seen as this like sexy kind of crazy thing that you can do, um, without the emphasis on the health difficulties that you can actually create for someone in which like you can cause some long-term health problems in doing that. Yeah. So let's not do that. And plus, like for me, there's just a repugnance there, but like how, anyway, um, other forms of sex. So we talk about oral stimulation. You can have oral stimulation, you to your husband or your husband to the wife that can lead up to, um, you know, here we need some nuance. A woman can climax before, during, or after her husband's penetration of her with his penis. All of those are licit ways for a woman to come to climax with her husband. So you could have a situation where it's like a lady's first night and he brings her all the way to climax orally, and then he enters and climaxes inside her. That would be a totally legitimate sex act. You cannot bring her all the way to climax orally, like when it's um, abstinence time, you know, and there's going to be no penis and vagina part of this. Um, so, like, that's, I guess, if you, it's just tricky because when we say oral sex, do, what do we mean? Do we mean, like, oral stimulation as part of a complete sex act in, in which he is then going to climax inside his wife? Um, or is this like a standalone thing? And that standalone, that's not okay. Like you can't bring your husband all the way to climax orally, um, you know, because his climax is procreative. That's where the sperm gets involved. You know, but the wife's climax, we don't ovulate upon climax, right? So that's why there's the distinction there. Um, and then same rules with manual stimulation. You can't bring your husband all the way to orgasm manually. Is that hand job? Is that what they call it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not as familiar with all these terms, but then um, he could bring you all the way to orgasm manually and then enter and come have his climax and maybe you'll have another climax. Woohoo. Right. Or maybe you have the PIV component of your sex session and then he brings you husband brings wife all the way to orgasm manually afterwards or orally afterwards. Like that would be okay also. So I hope that 
is helpful. <laughs> yeah, I like the distinctions that you're making because I think sometimes people get really confused, especially female versus male orgasm and how that how that can work together and what that then means. Okay, you are allowed to do this or that would be a sin to do that. I think sometimes even language of like licit, illicit still sounds a little veiled when it's like, okay, this is a green light. You can do this. This is a red light. We don't do that. That would be, you know, uh, this, the sin that you said of prudence or that this is straight up not allowed. This is a sin. You got to head on over to confession and get cleaned up. Now, at this point, I would like to highlight the misleading work of the notorious so-called theologian Ron Conte. And he has information on the web. And I think his site is, I think he has a domain name of Catholicism.cc or something like that. And in there, he, and he uses the same kind of background um, as Vatican's documents, like the same sort of like you know, parchmenty, yellowish paper looking background. And in there, he states that it is never okay to have any sort of oral or manual stimulation um, of husband or wife that like, it's all gotta be just penis and vagina. And he uses very churchy sounding language and whatnot. And this man, he is not accurate about this. He's not a full blown theologian. He has an MA and he's not teaching in line with the church on that. So some people come across his stuff and then get really anxious and, um, you know, scruples attack and whatnot. And, uh, I just, I just want to highlight that he is spreading misleading information. Thank you for saying Have that. Have you heard of him? Have you oh, yes. I've seen his website and I find it really disturbing that he uses his web, the website design to look like the cat, the, the Vatican, right? look like the, the catechism, um, website where you can look at like different um different aspects of the catechism and go through it through the vatican site but he tries to look exactly like the vatican's website which i'm just really amazed that the vatican hasn't done more to call that out because um i've had people come to me and they're really confused and it and it does it does create this intense anxiety and fear of doing something wrong and it's really important to address it and talk about it so i'm glad you bring it up because i think a lot of times we try to be veiled like well i don't want to start like a war it's like no i'm not we're not trying to start like an attack and cancel culture here we're trying to acknowledge this person is actually not speaking truth and right. what he's teaching is not in alignment with church teaching. What he's saying is his own opinion and not what the church upholds. And that's yes. really important to distinguish. Amen. And I'm irritated because what he describes, this is just not going to be nice for women. Like your husband can't stimulate you. You know, he can't be touching or caressing your clitoris in any way. You just got to lay there and take the PIV and that's it. And like, that's just such a minority of women who that is going to, bring them pleasure and bring them to orgasm. So I just like, what? Why do you mean like that? What's in it? Why is he? <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just don't think that's very nice. No. And I think too, the fact that John Paul II in Love and Responsibility writes extensively on sex and comments on, you know, some of, some of the things that, you know, are in alignment with church teaching, not alignment with church teaching, addresses sex, sexologists and what they were finding in research. Like he was very, very willing to go to these places and talking about arousal curve and women's orgasm and mm -hmm. a man's orgasm and, and actually talking about it in, in ways that definitely promotes women and men enjoying sex together and working together with their bodies and with the sexual pleasure and like the bonding and babies reality. So I think, um, I think JP two is definitely higher on the list than a man who tries to imitate the Vatican website. Oh yeah. And you know, the, in the church documents as well, they're so honoring and respectful of women and our flourishing and our well-being. Um, in Humani Vitae, St. Pope Paul, this St. Pope Pius the sixth writes about how, you know, a man needs to have regard for the physical and emotional equilibrium of his wife. 
He says that's why contraception is a bad idea because men will take women for granted, husbands will take their wives for granted and see them as sexually available all the time. And, you know, so wear them out. And um, like behind that is a real desire to make sure women don't feel used, that they also feel mutual and like they're part of this and enjoying it as well. Yeah. Um, and then I was reading Miliaris Dignitatum the other day, and there's just such a beautiful passage about the style of how Jesus relates to women and how this is an analogy for all men to relate to women in culture and then specifically for husbands to relate to wives in marriage. And it's, he talks about wanting their flourishing and wanting them to be enriched. And um, I thought like, if you just add the words in bed to that, this just paints a beautiful picture of like how a husband is to love his wife sexually with you know, reverence for her enrichment and her her delight and just great respect for her. I, I think that's something that we need to remember and take to heart. Yeah, absolutely. I want to keep going through all these questions because they're so good and everything that you've touched on so far is so helpful and 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 painting a bigger picture too of like how, like you said, how the church respects and loves women and, and her flourishing. And what does that look like in the everyday life of a married woman? It, what does it look like when it comes to sexual intimacy and growing intimacy emotionally, physically, spiritually in marriage? Like it's so important to look at every piece and we can't just take sexual intimacy and be like, oh, that's that thing over there. But we're not going to talk too much about it because we're uncomfortable. I think we're I think we're well past that. And and I think it's such a, a, a beautiful time in the church, too, because we have so many more people being willing like yourself to talk about this and to go into these places and explore these church documents and explain what the church is teaching to a world that's so hungry for it. And to women, I think who are so craving this information and wanting to have better marriages, holier marriages, great sex lives, like great connection with their spouses and, and that, and how that positively impacts their family life, their community, the world, like these, the, what we're talking about actually has huge implications that spreads out from family life into the world. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It's so great that you're able to host these conversations. I love doing it. It's it's honestly like so much fun and I learned so much from you. So this is great. So someone said they're getting married next month and they've never had sex. Any tips? Oh, yeah. I would say take a bath first. Have a glass of wine if you can have wine. Um, you, you maybe use lots of lube. Um, be willing to have a sense of humor and laugh. And for most Women, the first time is not going to be like their best time ever of <laughs> making love. It's really like the first pancake. <laughs> Just got to kind of figure out how to make the mechanics work. Um, I would say figure out where the clitoris is and, you know, have him touch you there and figure out what kind of touches are going to be nice. Um, and then have a towel on hand. No one ever tells you about that. Like, no. I feel like we need to know have a towel or a dirty t-shirt, you know, old like a t-shirt that's in the laundry or yeah. um oh, what are, there's also these products you can buy. The dipstick or something. Do you know what I'm talking about, Brid oh, Bridget? No. no, I don't actually. Oh, it's Emily. Emily Frazy is the one who first brought these to my attention. I think they're from a company called Awkward Essentials. And it's like this sort of tampon on a stick type situation where you just wipe around in there and take care of everything afterwards. <laughs> I've never used them, but you know, if you're just starting out, maybe you can get some and see if that's going to be helpful. Yeah. I would also say to have some lube on hand and don't get anything scented or with any funky flavorings in them, like keep it clean 
because you want to make sure the pH balance of your vagina stays nice and clean and fresh and like true to you. Um, mm -hmm. And then you you can also use unrefined coconut oil and I'll include, yeah. a, list, include a list of ton of clean, clean brands for lubes that people like, and there are quite a few. So you can, you can try a few and see like what feels good. I personally really like coconut oil without the first um, jelly that we use. It was like a non-toxic jelly. It was really sticky. And I didn't yeah. like that. Um, and perk of using coconut oil is like, if you cook with it, you get, you can get turned on by cooking dinner. And so that's nice because the associations like, in your brain. Yes. The yeah, remote preparation for sexy time. When you yes. get that coconut oil on your skillet, you're like, yeah. Yeah, you're like, whoa, wait, that smells too. good. What does this remind me of? I know what it reminds me of. And then you start, and then you're like, Hey, you know what we could do tonight. I love it. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm going to confess I've never used lube. We have just always used foreplay and my own lubrication is adequate. Which so is totally great. Yeah. So this is where you get to explore and figure out like, Hey, if that works for you, great. You don't have to use it. But if you find things are still a little drier, you just like really need it to be more of a slip and slide situation. Yeah. They enjoy the coconut oil. Oh my gosh. Bridget, we need to tell this lady, you have to pee afterwards. No one yes. told me that until I was like 20 years married that you are more likely to have bladder infections, uh, right? Like if you I never show this in the movies, you always cuddle and fall asleep together. And yes, the, the penguin model have that towel between your legs within 30 minutes. You need to pee to decrease mm -hmm. the likelihood of it developing a UTI. Yeah. Cause the sterile urine washes out any bacteria that got up there. And then, yeah. Uh, my nurse practitioner, my primary care practitioner was like, yeah, totally typical scenario is the wife will go on a cruise with her husband. They'll have sex a lot of times during the cruise or, you know, vacation, getaway just as a couple. And then she comes home with a roaring bladder infection or, um, what are UTI? Yeah. 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 Tract infection. Infection. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that is important. And I would say Set an expectation that this is something that takes a good amount of time for you as the wife, as the woman to really enjoy it. Like this is not a five or 10 minute situation. It's more like a minimum 20 to 30 minute situation. So I think setting that expectation from the beginning can be really helpful because I have so many wives in my class say like, I, I guess I just don't like sex. I don't get any enjoyment out of it. And then I talk to them more. I'm like, well, this is, they're just, it's just 10 minutes. He's, you know, his arousal curve is really short and fast and did everything for him. And she's not even gotten going yet. So yeah, so that good. expectation is going to be a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of touches into the next question I have. What is a spontaneous libido versus a responsive libido? Because this ties yeah. in. It does. Yeah. And I think that it's really important to remember that just because you're not thinking ahead of time while you're going through your day, like, oh, I would like to make love tonight. That's a spontaneous libido. You're just thinking out of the blue, like hmm, sex, that would be nice. But a responsive libido is where partway through the foreplay, as you're getting aroused, then you're like, yes, I am responding to this stimulation. And now I feel like this is a good thing and I would like to make love. So that's the responsive libido there. And so that is just important to know that like, you know, if your husband is, is suggesting, hey, babe, would you like to make love tonight? If in that moment you're like, actually, I want to finish, <laughs> I want to finish this project I'm working on, you know, like um, maybe you're working on your, I don't know, budget or whatnot or answering emails. <laughs> like, I wasn't really thinking about sex right now. But you can say, hey, why don't you see if you can convince me? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just make the time for each other, finish up those emails, they'll wait for tomorrow, like close the laptop 
or walk away from the chores. They will totally be there for you tomorrow. I love that my grandma told me this. She's like, that laundry, it'll be waiting for you in the morning. Don't worry. It's not going anywhere. But you go to bed with your husband and play around and then see if he can get a, you know, if with enough romance and cuddling and foreplay that you can get to a place where your body is going to respond. And you know what? If it doesn't and you're like, I just feel awful. Never mind. I, I don't know what I was thinking. No, sex is a no. You are not morally beholden to like finish the deed right then. Like you intended to make love. You need to stop. That's okay. I just want to make sure women realize that they're not pressured. You know, there, there's not this moral you know pressure. Yes. And, and that totally ties into another question. Like, is it okay to say no to sex? Cause I think a lot of times when I did a poll on Instagram and kind of understanding, like, what do people think about duty sex and sacrificial love? Meaning you have to say yes to sex. I think that ties in really well with this question. You know, do I, is it okay to say no? And I think, you know, pairing it with this idea of do you have a spontaneous libido versus responsive libido? Like if you are more responsive and you're trying it, you're just like, man, this, like you said, this still really isn't working. Is it okay to say no? Yes, it is okay to say no. Oh my goodness. You know, Bridget, I have a lot of passion about this topic because I, uh, so many reasons, because I feel like it gets promoted in the Christian and Catholic community that like women, we have to always say yes. Um, there, you know, there, people bring up this concept of the marital debt, which was a canon law concept from the Middle Ages, which gets incorrectly applied um, to uh, this idea that women can never say no. Um, I have a whole, in my highlights on my Instagram, I have a whole um, like series of stories addressing marital debt. Um, and this, I, yes, you have consent, you have free consent and you can say no. And you know, what if you're starting to have sex, um, or you, you said, yeah, okay, let's try it. Um, and then a kid interrupts you or you start to have an anxiety attack about something, or it's feeling really uncomfortable. You can even say no at that point. If you've begun, you know, you were intending to make love, but now you're like, actually, no, I don't want to anymore. Yeah. You can stop at any point. So I just want women to know that, that you are free. Oh my goodness. There's just, and there's, this is in church teaching too, all this about mutuality, about the husband having regard for his wife's equilibrium. Like if you're exhausted and uh, yeah, you, you do not have any duty, you know, it is nice to be generous. And sometimes when we're exhausted and we're like, mm, I don't feel like it. Once you start having some foreplay, then you're like, actually there's a whole fresh wind here. I didn't know it was here, but thank you. You know, now the, um, the sexy time libido are kicking in and, uh, I'm into it now. Like that can happen. You should, I think it's not, it shouldn't be the default to always say no all the time. Sex is a good thing for your marriage and yeah, you, you've right. got to make, you've got to carve out some time for it and save some energy for it and not exhaust yourself, completely pouring yourself out for the kids and the community and the house and everything else except your husband. But same thing, he has to have regard for you and he has to help you with the responsibilities and so that you have time. And anyway, we did a whole episode on this, right? So you can, you still. Yeah, so I'm going to link to this too. Yeah. I think this is so helpful just to be able to, to help women know, like, this is very nuanced. And I love what you said that like, there, there's the, the saying no is totally, totally okay. And then there's also the reality that like, once you start, you might realize, wow, I am really enjoying this. And so like, you have to be aware of yourself and your body and, and that attunement mm -hmm. to each other. It's not only on the woman, it's not only on the man, it's working together. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And this question also relates. Sometimes I kind of feel like having sex, but also feel like saying no. How can I have my husband help me? Do I ask? It feels kind of weird. No one talks about this. 
yeah, I would love to know more. Like, why does she feel like saying no? Because she's tired and she's just not feeling any libido, but she kind of feels like having sex. Like, she just wants to feel close to her husband and she's like, has happy memories that this can be a nice thing. Um, I would just like, if you can get your way to yes or default to yes, that's nice. But when, when she says, how do I have, have my husband help me? Like, is this, she just needs more arousal and wooing and pursuing? Like, would it help? her if her husband was like i just love you so much and you're so amazing and you're so sexy like maybe she just needs to hear some more affirming things like that from her husband so that she feels more emotionally connected all the things i said earlier um in this interview about like it doesn't start with the sex it starts with the relationship and how emotionally connected you're getting and whatnot like maybe how her husband can help her is like well let's have a date let's go for a walk together let's <laughs> i don't know sort of closet together, whatever's going to make you feel like you're connected and he's in this with you and you're bonding, um, you know, then uh, like that's, that's really part of it also. <laughs> and then maybe she needs help with, um, with him stimulating her, giving her more pleasure and whatnot. And, you know, I would say like, just start with massage and see where it goes from there. Be like, okay, well, I could say yes to a massage. Let's do that. And then ask me again after the massage, like, you know, let, let's check in with each other then. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious why she says it feels kind of weird. Do I ask? Like, absolutely ask him to help you find your way to pleasure. That is, that is not weird. That's totally, that's sharing your full gift of self. Because your full self as a woman is that... You need a lot of things to be lined up in order to have a sexual response. You need to have that emotional connection and you need to have some relaxation and you need to have some stimulation and you need to feel like the world's not going to fall apart if you take the night for each other. You know, like this is a really big thing. So whatever part of that you need help with, absolutely ask for the help. And you can say it in a sweet, suggestive, sexy way. Be like, I would love to be in a place where I could, you know, rock your world and have, make sweet love with you. Um, I'm a little preoccupied right now with this or this, or you know what, my feet are cold and our bedroom feels cold. Like let's turn, get a space heater in here and let me put on my sexy fuzzy socks and cuddle. And then let's see how it goes after that. Um, I don't know. I, I hope this is helpful. I just feel like we need a lot more information with this question to know what specifically is going to help her or what she needs to ask for. But yes, you need to ask. And that is totally okay. Um, he's not going to guess. and He's not going to know. He's not going to read your mind. So it really might take some very clear words <laughs> from you. Yeah. And yeah. it's okay to ask. I, I, I think that emphasis on communication is so important. It, like, I think, again, we, we have these ideas through movie or movies or books that, you know, the man is just supposed to know or like a good man knows. And I think like, sure, he might know once you've had communication about it and he gets to know you and what you like. But yes. really, like, we're always like, you know, we're in different seasons or changing. Our bodies are growing. Our bodies are changing. We're aging. Whatever is going on. Like, it's so important to be able to communicate and ask. And it doesn't remove the the mystery. You know, I think sometimes oh, you think yeah. oh, it's going to remove the mystery and it's not going to make it fun. And this idea of removing the chase. But it's like, okay, but if you want to be in limbo and like this guessing game all the time, you're going to be more stressed and annoyed than not. And it actually can bring you together and help so much more when you can say what you need and learn each other. Oh, it's so important for building the unity in your marriage. 
building up that bond between you that takes lots of learning and, and discovery and knowing each other more and more and more. And, and us even knowing ourselves as women, you know, for us, context makes all the difference. Like it's hugely important. And that's why like something that turned you on one night might is maybe not going to do the job the next night because your whole context changed, your day changed, what your whole emotional landscape of what you went through that day is different. Your day and your cycle is different. You know, like you're a different woman. And so I really think God created us this way as women to have like lots of different things that affect us and our arousal and our, our you know, our sexual response and men being often much more straightforward so that that we'll, we'll need to communicate and need to learn each other and connect with each other in all these different ways. Um, yeah, it's just, it's part of it. Yeah. Okay. We are on to our final question and it's mm -hmm. tips for wives who have a higher libido than their husbands. I feel alone in this and want to love him better, but I don't know how to deal with feeling upset when he isn't in the mood too. I am so grateful that um, someone asked this question because this is me. I, I mean, maybe that's why I'm running a sex class because I think sex is great and um, I'm happy talking about it and am the higher libido wife in my marriage. And it, we can feel very alone in this position because most of the sex advice and um, tips out there are kind of assuming that it's the husband, husband who's going to be wanting it and initiating it all the time. And then we can feel like even if our husband is happy to have sex with us when we initiate, we may want to feel pursued sometimes. Anyway, it can be very lonely. And I just want you other ladies out there listening who also are in the position of being the higher libido or higher drive spouse in your marriage to know you're not alone. What I've been learning is that, that this describes about 20% of wives. So, you know, one in five, that's actually a pretty significant number. And um, it's been really, I can, I can say a couple different different things about this. What I was saying about context matters for wives, we really have to keep this in mind for our husbands as well. Um, and if, especially if his drive isn't as high or, you know, his libido is not as high as yours, what is going on in his day can really make a difference as to whether he's going to want to say yes to you or not. And I've, I've had days where I've been kind of like controlling and nitpicky and critical all day to my husband. And then that night I'll be like, Hey, want to make love? And he's like, uh, actually, no, I'm not really, feeling, I'm not really feeling into it. And then I'll feel deeply disappointed and sad and like have insomnia for a couple hours or whatever, <laughs> which is, um, but then the next day on reflection, I'll realize like, Oh, I was not setting us up for a yes night. Like, if I want to set us up for success, like if I am affirming and kind and, you know, um, thankful to my husband all during the day, that's going to be more helpful. And then also what else is going on with him? Um, I noticed that my husband's work responsibilities and the ebb and flow of that when he's stressed out with work, that's going to really suck his libido even more. And, um, so that's not a personal rejection of me. That's like him being a responsible man and loving me by holding down his job so he can <laughs> help can provide for our family. That's been really helpful for me to see like all the ways that he loves me and continues to say yes to me and 
are like the ways that he is just being a great husband, you know, helping with the chores. He's so hands-on with our kids. And I'm like, oh, that's part of how he's expressing his love to me. That really helps with when he says no to sex, then I'm like, okay, this is really, you know, more something with his drive or whatever's going on in his life right now. This doesn't mean he doesn't love me as much. But I do um, also want to say that, hang on, Bridget. I'm sorry. I had a train of thought that just left. Oh, Give me a second here. I don't, okay, but I don't know how to deal with feeling upset when he isn't in the mood. Okay, another bit of advice I can share is imagine that the tables were turned and he was higher libido and his drive is higher and yours is lower. How would you want him to approach you? And that is how you can approach him as well. With reverence, with invitation, not with guilt or pressure or, you know, passive aggression or whatnot. Like, that, you know, when you think about a husband who does those things, you think, holy, what a jerk, you know, guilt tripping his wife or throwing a pity party or pouting or whatnot. Well, and then what do we do as higher libido wives when our husband is not inclined to have sex that night? Like, same thing. We can't be a female jerk. We can't throw a pity party or guilt trip or pressure, all those things. You know what is good is like, go do a project. Um, if, you're feeling like, okay, I'm more of like a three-night or four-night-a-week lady, and he's like a one-night-a-week <laughs> guy. Maybe those other three or four days, I need to do some heavy exercise that day, right? Or make sure that we're connecting in some other way that fills my cup, you know, having the dates and having heart-to-heart -heart talks or you're taking a walk or whatever. And just, re I think the really hard part is just not taking it as a personal rejection. Because I will, you know, and I'll ask my husband, like, do you think I'm beautiful? And he'll be like, yeah, you're amazing. You're so beautiful and so sexy. And know that when wives who are lower libido, I hear over and over again, I hear them say, I feel broken. I feel like there's something wrong with me. I'm sorry. I'm inadequate. Husbands who are lower libido feel all those same things. They feel like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think there's something broken with me. I feel like inadequate as a husband. So you need to reassure them that you love them and accept them for how they are. Um, just know that, you know, yeah, you treasure them and their love and their presence in your life. I think that's really important. And then just being able to accept that and maybe talk with each other. It, it's so interesting what people think is low libido or high libido. I was reading in a Christian book on sex that one wife felt like she was low libido because she only wanted to have sex once a week and her husband wanted to have it multiple times a day. And I'm like, well, oh my gosh, that man, like <laughs> I would say a once a week desire is not a low libido desire. You know, I guess compared to this like multiple times a day guy, <laughs> um, by comparison, yes, but uh, compared to other women, I would say that's plenty. So I don't know, maybe talking with your husband about ideal frequency and seeing what you can come together and, and, and agree on, you know, maybe twice a month or once a week or whatever, you know, and maybe set a certain day of the week if that works with what your fertility awareness method or whatnot, you know, or maybe like which week a month. Okay, first, first week of the month is going to be our week or Saturday, you know, if we can 
um, work it out. Like, you know, kind of helping set some expectations can help you manage your desire. Because then you've got a time where you know, okay, I'm going to look forward to making love with him then. And then I'm not going to set myself up for this roller coaster of hope and expectation and disappointment when it's not that time. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think what's so interesting too is how we see frequency of sex, meaning low or high libido. Like you said, it's 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 a bit subjective because it depends on like, okay, where you are in your season of marriage, where you are personally, what's going on? Are you responsive or spontaneous libido? Um, how you're connecting right now? Or other, do you have a good emotional cushion for your marriage? Like, are there other things that yeah. are lacking? Do you have a lot of stressors going on? So I think that's just a lot more... Um, freedom to play with it and to see it that way rather than like, oh my gosh, I'm not having enough sex or I'm demanding too much sex from my spouse. It's really having to work together in those ebb and flows um, in, in so many different aspects like I just mentioned. Yes. Um, I just finished reading a section in Christian author Sheila Gregoire's book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, Creating a Marriage That's Both Holy and Hot. That's a fun title. So again, she's going to have sections on birth control and on mass, you know, talking about masturbation as apart from PIV um, climax. Uh, but she has a lot of really great advice in there also. And she has a whole section to um, where she's addressing higher libido wives. And her main takeaway is like, oh, and also what we talked about regarding spontaneous and responsive desire. Maybe your husband is responsive desire. So, you know, once he gets going, he is happy to be, you know, making love to you, but he just needs a little convincing and just, you know, ask, like work on, like if he can agree to, um, whether or not, you know, you might be convinced, you know, at a frequency you guys talk about. But then her other advice to higher libido wives is just focus on your marital friendship and on enjoying each other, um, you know, throughout the rest of your day. And so that's kind of what, what she left with. But anyway, just to know, I was just happy to read there's someone out there addressing higher libido wives. Yeah. So good. These were all such amazing answers to these questions, Sarah. Thank you so much. I know like I could keep adding more questions as even as we're talking, I'm like, oh, I remember someone asking me this. Like I personally have this question, like so many good things. And I think this is where it's um, so important to highlight your course, my delight, and all of the opportunities women can have to work with you, to ask these questions, to learn from you, to build in these different areas of intimacy in their marriage and to have great sex and to ask those really practical questions that they have. So thank you so much for joining, for sharing your wisdom with us and answering these questions, for being so practical, addressing so many facets and, and talking about so many different areas, um, practically too, for resources and different books and different opportunities to learn too, so that women can see for themselves, like, yes, this is what the church is teaching. This is how they value women. Here are some great resources, some great books. So I'm really so grateful for your work and that you're willing to be a Catholic sex lady because wow, we are sorely lacking that in the Catholic church. And I'm so grateful for your yes and your courage to do this because I think so many get so nervous to talk about this and you do it with such grace and authenticity and vulnerability. I'm so grateful for you. Oh, Bridget, thank you so much. I'm humbled and grateful. And I just want to honor all the women out there who really are also having the courage to not settle for less in their love life, who really want more of the fullness of joy that God wants for them in that. And yes, I definitely welcome women to come check out my course, my delight, or get on the wait list if you're listening to this, to this um, recording at a time when the course is not open. Um, and just know, like, keep looking and growing, and God just have more, and just don't give up and, and resign yourselves.
as more yes. as possible. Oh my goodness. Amen. Well, thank you so much. I'll be including all of the show notes, uh, links in there. And of course the link to your course. So thank you so much, Sarah. You're so welcome. God bless. Bye.